This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This week, we have our newest episode in our Behind the Curtain series where we've been talking to some folks at Anva. And this week, I'm talking to Kevin Lewis, who is getting ready to retire after 26 years with Anva. Kevin, welcome to the AnvaCast. Thank you very much, Eden. I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, and for those of you listening, what you don't know is Kevin and I are uh, sitting on a stage in front of about 200 of AMVA's employees because we're at uh, our fall all-hand staff meeting. AMVA employees, say hi to our podcast listeners. So th- this has become a thing with podcasts where they're recording in front of live audiences, and this is our first uh, attempt to do so, Kevin. So I appreciate you being willing to, you know, be a little bit of a, a guinea pig in this experiment. My pleasure. So let, let's let's talk about it. Um, in my retirement episodes, when I talk to folks, uh, I kind of like to start with, why now? Um, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek with you because anybody who's listening who knows Kevin knows that Kevin's been on the five-year retirement plan for 15 years. Uh, so, 20. Yeah. So, so what? Why, why now? Well, quite frankly, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, I've been doing this work for Amber for 26 years. Uh, last year, I started taking a look around going, what else do I want to do? And so I decided that I'm going to start slowing down a bit, uh, kind of enjoy uh, life in Florida now. Mm. Uh, instead of working five days a week, six days a week with mm-hmm. travel, mm-hmm. Uh, st- take a step back and just enjoy working perhaps part-time, doing something else, maybe other than CDL and driver licensing. Right. As I said earlier, I might go to work stocking wine at Total Wine <laughs> and more. Uh, you know, no. No yeah, pressure, yeah. and and use the employee yeah. discount to keep yeah. me in wine money. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned enjoying life in Florida. That that was a recent change for you. You had lived in the D.C. area for many years, a fellow Maryland resident. Uh, that's correct. I've been living in Maryland for decades and uh, recently got engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, oh see. And uh, right before I got engaged, my future fiancé had found a community in Florida and she started looking around and said, this is where I would like to move. Her family's in Florida. My mother and father have recently passed, so there's really no reason for me to stay in Maryland. And I took a look at Maryland weather versus Florida weather, <laughs> and it took me over about three seconds to determine that Florida weather is much better. That's right, that's right. And the adjustment is, is going well. Uh, it is a completely different way of life. Yeah. Up here, everybody's a class A personality. Down there, it's kind of like class, or you know, they're type Z's. Uh, you will go to a restaurant and yeah, have a seat. We'll get to you. You know, it's 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 good. Okay, very good. So let's go back to 26 years in Amba. By my quick math, that takes us to about 1997. That's correct. Uh, but before Amva, you know, you already had established quite quite a career, and I want to go back and, and understand that. 
You are an East Coast native. Correct. From Pennsylvania. Correct? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh area. Go Steelers. That's right. Well, <laughs> nobody's perfect. Uh, leaving Pennsylvania for the service. Yes, I, I was a, I'm a Navy veteran. Thank you. Uh, I enjoyed my, my career, but um, after six years, I went, there's something else I really want to do, mm -hmm. and I wound up parlaying my Navy career into the intelligence field, and I went to work for NASA for a couple of years, working on satellite systems and the first few space shuttle launches, mm. and then went to work on Star Wars under President Reagan for the Strategic Defense Initiative Office, and then wound up uh, working for DARPA, mm. which was right down the street from the AMVA headquarters. DARPA, for those of you who don't know, is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, where I was running their hardware department for several years. Mm. And then I realized I was uh, close to, what, a mid-40s, and I was burning out. Mm. And I said, I need to find another job. Mm. I need to find a new career. Yeah. And so a position at AMVA opened up, and I interviewed at AMVA, and my first thought was, it's driver licensing. How hard can this be? <laughs> <laughs> and the first day I showed up at AMVA, by lunchtime I was going, what in the heck did I do? Yeah. Because the first 27 words out of everybody's mouth were acronyms that I had no clue what was what they were talking about. And now, to be more specific, when you joined, you were technically joining Amvanet at the time, which was a separate company. That is correct. I was an Amvanet person. I was working on the PDPS side of the house, mm -hmm. problem driver pointer system with the NDR. Uh, and then after that little thing called Y2K. Mm -hmm. We, or I decided I'm going to move to the other side of the house, the policy side of the house, where I then went into the CDL program. Mm. So it was only a few years on the more technical side before transitioning over to the programmatic policy side. That's correct. And when you transitioned over, uh, it's an interesting time because if that's right after Y2K 2000, that's the same time the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is set up as its own agency. That's correct. They were formed in year 2000 right. after the Mixia. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, when I moved over to the AMVA side of the house, that I actually got to work with all of the folks, both AMVA folks, federal government folks, and jurisdictional folks who have actually implemented the CDL program. Mm -hmm. It's only been in existence for a couple of years. Right. So I got to work with all those folks who actually developed it and implemented it so I got to sit right next to all those people, and so I learned not only why the CDL program came into, an, into existence, but the rationale behind it, all the reasons behind we're doing certain things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so who, who were those people? You know, those of us that appreciate, enjoy understanding the history, where it's come from, when you look back and you think about, you know, those people that birthed the, the commercial driver licensing program, not, not only at AMVA, but within the jurisdictions, within the federal government that you were in the trenches with in those early days. Who were those leaders and mentors? Well, there was Mike Calvin for, for mm -hmm. the start. Uh, there was uh, Bob Redman, who worked for FMCSA. He is considered the father of the CDL regulations. And Bob and I would sit there in meetings and argue back and forth versus you know what the regulations said, what the words are versus what Bob's intent was, versus what is actually the, in the regulation. Mm -hmm. 
So you know, those are the types of folks that I, I sat next to. Yeah. And as you're working with the, the states at the time, was it was there an eagerness to implement this? Was there resistance to implement it? What was the culture around this transition of what was little to no federal oversight and consistency and standardization to switching to a, a more uniform approach to running this program? Well, I think there's a universal law in the universe that says people do not like change. Mm -hmm. And so you do have 51 kingdoms out there, the 50 states, District of Columbia, who all do the same thing, but sometimes in 51 wildly different ways. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, you had, you had folks going, no, we don't want to do this. Other side of the coin, you had folks who were saying, yes, we want to do this, but tell us how to do it. Give us some sort of structure. Mm -hmm. And luckily, that was in the form of the regulations and also folks within and in the jurisdictions who said, we need to do this in a certain way that makes sense. And quite frankly, the CDL program makes a heck of a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine in those early days, there's the regulation that gives the framework, but the actual implementation, that's where I imagine you were spending a lot of time stepping in with best practices, standards. There's one thing to say you have to meet this requirement of the regulation. It's another thing to say, how are we going to get to that finish line? That was the fun part about the CDL program, in that you knew what the regulations were specifying. Now I had to figure out, okay, how are we going to do that certain thing? And so there was a lot of research and development, a lot of meetings, a lot of trying, uh, you know, idea number one, idea number two, idea number three, and trying to figure out what were the strong points and the weak points of all those, and developing a solution that not only met the regulatory requirement, but also a solution that 51 separate jurisdictions could adopt. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of training. After the, uh, the solutions were put into place, uh, an awful lot of meetings, a lot of very loud discussions <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so it was a, it was a uh, I'd say a labor of love, yeah. because it was we're doing something new. Yeah. What, were, what was one of the, say, more challenging areas where if you look back and say now someone who is new to the space just accepts it as this is the way we do it, it's kind of always been done this way and it makes sense, but at the time when you were creating it, we may not have appreciated what a challenge it was to get to that way of going. Um, I'll, I'll use CDL testing as an example. Uh, both knowledge testing and skills testing you have somebody who's 21 or 22 years old who wants to drive a vehicle that can weigh upwards of 80,000 pounds and be 75 feet long. How do you test them to see they have the basic skill set mm -hmm. necessary to operate that commercial motor vehicle? Now, we all know we can make a very comprehensive skills test that takes four or five hours to complete. Well, that isn't going to work for the jurisdictions. Mm -hmm you need to be able to test these individuals fairly quickly to see if they have the basic skill set to operate that vehicle safely on the highway, but also fit it within the jurisdictional time constraints. So we, we developed these various exercises to prove to the examiner, to the jurisdiction, that this individual can operate that vehicle safely. Mm -hmm. and a lot of work goes into that. And so I imagine at the time, the, the disagreements over what the exercise should be, what really proves that this person is capable, that ultimately became a standard test that we used for decades. That is correct. Now, in initially, the original CDL tests came out of what we call truck rodeos. Now, 
That was. What's that? Explain what that is. Yes, for a truck don't know. rodeo is where ex very experienced commercial motor vehicle operators, CDL holders, come together and perform skills. The better they are, you know, the, the, the harder the skill is, the better they perform it, the better driver they are. Well, the very first CDL test came from truck rodeos. Big disconnect there because who are, you who are you testing in the jurisdiction? You're not testing experienced truck drivers. Mm. You are experienced, you're testing very inexperienced rookie drivers. For example, there is a there is a truck rodeo exercise where you put a cone on the high on, on the on the parking lot and you tell the driver to come as close to the cone as possible with your big rig without hitting it. That is a very poor testing maneuver for a beginning driver. Mm -hmm. You want that driver to stay as far away from that cone <laughs> as possible. <laughs> but that was the one of the first skills in the first CDL test. Mm. After a few years, we realized that a lot of these skills were not, they were not amenable to a beginning driver. Yeah. So we, ha we introduced a, the second CDL skills test, which we called the 2005 test, and we did away with the truck rodeo exercises and put in much more basic skills, but it's still something that was going to test a driver's ability to operate around Mm -hmm. objects. And so I guess it's a little bit ironic that we jump way ahead, that that was one of your earliest projects, and the last few years, one of your final big projects has been modernizing and updating that entire testing system. That's correct. Uh, when we released the 2005 test in, um, oh, 2005, <laughs> and uh, we called it the 2005 test. Very original. Very original. Yeah. Uh, as the test was implemented in the jurisdictions, one thing always remained constant. Individuals and schools always attempted to cheat the test. They didn't want to do the test as we had developed. And so there were several iterations of the 2005 test, and we released them because we were strengthening the test to try to keep the cheating, release, remove the cheating from the test. Well, go forward to about 2018 or so, and mm -hmm. we realized that the 2005 test was been around for 13, 14 years. It was time to take a look at it and see if we can improve it once again, which we did. Uh, we met with TMS and our IDEC folks with jurisdictions, and we came up with different ways of performing exercises that made much more sense mm -hmm. than the 05 test. Yeah. So we're good now for another 10 years, and then we'll start over again. Yeah, we may have to. We'll call you back in ten years and see uh, <laughs> if you want to come come take a look at, at how it is. Um, there's obviously a focus on CDL because I think that is you've spent a lot of time in that area, and you became really nationally, globally recognized as a key leader in that space. And it's funny when you talk about some of those other original folks who are at the table as they retired, moved on, and sadly passed, passed away. Um, I would tell people, I said, when, once those people left the, the work, you know, who could tell you what this regulation really said and why it said it except for Kevin? And now Kevin is moving on, and we have to find someone else to fill in that blank. Um, and so I think your legacy is very much tied to the CDL space. However, that is not the only driver licensing space where you spent a, a lot of your career. Um, and I know a lot of uh, another big area that I've heard you talk about over the years is driver's education. Mm -hmm. 
um, which may not have been something that Anvil was directly providing, but as a subject matter expert, you've been involved in a number of spaces regarding driver education, not only for the commercial drivers, but the non-commercial drivers. Tell me a little bit more about the, the history there, because I imagine coming out of the technical side into driver licensing programs, teaching new drivers may not have been on your radar 23 years ago. Um, you're 100% correct. Now, I'll, I'll ask the audience a question. Who are the worst driver trainers? Parents. Who is normally responsible for training new drivers? Parents. Bad, bad combination. When I was growing up, they taught driver ed in high schools. You took driver ed in high school. Most of the states have taken driver ed out of high schools, and now it's the realm of the third-party driver ed providers. And they're the ones who are taking the youngsters out and teaching them how to drive. Well, there's always been a big disconnect between what is taught in a driver ed course and what is tested for by the jurisdiction. And a lot of times you have the SDLAs testing the individual and you have the driver ed schools teaching them, but the two entities never spoke to one another. Mm -hmm. And so there was a big disconnect between what was taught and what was being tested for. So over the last decade or so, I've been involved with another organization called ANSTE, which actually looks at the driver education curriculums, and they are trying now to merge that curriculum to the state driver licensing agency testing requirements so that what is being taught is also being tested, hopefully resulting in a much better younger driver. Yeah. So do you think we've moved that needle? Fits and starts. Mm -hmm. As you said earlier today, it's incremental, uh, one small step at a time. We have created standards for the jurisdictions to use as far as regulating their driver ed schools. Uh, go covers everything from what the school should have, what the educator qualification should be, what a tester qualification should be, what should be in the actual curriculum, and how that individual should be tested. Mm. So as you start to reflect on the, the 26 years and you think about some of the other key achievements in the driver licensing space that AMVA has made, particularly since you made that switch in 2000. What, you know, let's talk about some of those highlights that you reflect upon. You, go, you could point to, you know, really raising the bar in an area or creating a new tool that wasn't there, meeting a community need. What really stands out to you as something that, you know, you could walk away saying, okay, my, my fingerprint is part of something I'm really proud of. Well, when I started at AMVA, we had just released the electronic version, if you will, of the problem driver pointer system. Mm -hmm. So getting the jurisdictions all up on the newest version of PDPS was, was an accomplishment. Also, my work with the DLC and NRVC before we had state to state and DHR, mm -hmm. they were two separate entities, and, come and actually getting the jurisdictions to actually follow what the DLC and NRVC tenants were. Again, I think that was a, a very big accomplishment. And then, of course, the CDL testing program. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's something that I can look back on and go, I'm, I'm glad I did it because every jurisdiction is using the test. Mm. FMCSA doesn't require them to use our test. FMCSA has always said, you don't have to use it. De develop your own test if you want. And as long as we approve it, you can use it. 
not one state has taken them up on that offer. Mm -hmm. they, every state uses the AMVA test model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as you leave us, but you see what is ahead for the DMV community and driver licensing, uh, what do you think are going to be the big challenges, opportunities, topics that you, know, you would suggest that we as an organization tackle, that members may want to have on their radar? We've already heard about one, MDL. It's, it's growing by leaps and bounds. But I think the biggest uh, opportunity right now is with the autonomous vehicle technology mm -hmm. that is being released constantly. Uh, that is going to be the biggest challenge out there, I believe, for SDLAs as far as testing individuals go. How do you test a driver when the car is actually thinking for them. Mm. Uh, is, is this person actually have a skill set or are they just sitting behind the wheel? And then eventually when you get to gener the, you know, the fourth and fifth level automation, when there isn't a steering wheel in the car, how do you test that individual? What are you going to test that individual on? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're going to have to test the car and not the, not the individual. Being someone who has historically been so connected with the task of driving, what's your own personal Kevin Lewis thoughts on automated vehicle technology. Note this is not the opinion of Amba and anything he says after this cannot be. I don't like my vehicle thinking for me. Uh, I've always said that once everybody has an autonomous vehicle, I'm going to pull my old sports car out and I'm going to drive fast in the fast lane because everyone's going to be in the slow lane driving the speed limit. Um, <laughs> no, not really. I, <laughs> I think that um, I'm concerned that as the technology increases, how do those individuals actually maintain control of the vehicle in an emergency situation? Uh, people say, you know, the car will drive itself. And you see it on commercials right now. And they take your hands off the wheel and they're clapping mm -hmm. or they're reading or they're looking behind them. What happens when the car goes, uh, driver, pay attention, it's too late. By the time they figure out what's going on, they've hit something. That's my biggest concern. Yeah. I guess I, I would hope that since 96% of crashes that result in fatality is caused by something the driver did wrong, mm -hmm. that we can take the driver error out of the equation. And I'm sure you've seen this over the years, both with the new driver education or with testing new drivers. We know that the operator error yep. is the biggest variable in highway safety. And so if we could do something to help that operator not make errors, then that's an opportunity for, for safety. And I agree 100%. I think that the training for those operators now has to include, you have to continue paying attention. Mm. Because right now... The task is changing. The task of driving is changing. There's different skills that we need to prepare them for. Exactly. Now people don't pay attention and they run into something in front of them. Mm. Now with a smarter and more intelligent vehicle, that vehicle's not going to run into that object in right. front of them. But what about the person driving the not so smart car behind the smart car? You mean the guy with the old sports car Egg. who's going too fast? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're going to run into the back of that vehicle. Yeah. So there, there is going to be a definite learning curve, and I think there has to be an emphasis on instruction for every operator, every car driver, that you still have to maintain attention and maintain control of that vehicle. Yeah. 
So when you made the switch in 2000, and someone said, you're going to play in this space now for a quarter of a century, mm-hmm. would you have believed them? No. <laughs> I, well, I said it. When I first started at Anthem, I'm going, like yourself, a per- perhaps a transition period yeah. because I was a techie. Mm-hmm. I had burned out. But I figured, okay, I'll come here for a few years, regenerate, yeah, have, have some fun, and then go back and be a techie. Well, all that kind of went by the wayside mm-hmm. because the more I got involved with this, with AMVA, the more I, I did driver licensing and compact work and driver ed, the more I loved it. Yeah. And so I just continued sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a bad penny is always coming back. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you know the retirement uh, might still have some activity that you want to do, but I imagine there's some fun things that you would like to make more time for or new fun things that you want to do now that you're going to have the time. You know, what, what's on the list and does your fiance know you're going to be home a lot more? <laughs> she said I need to find a part-time job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, we both work from home, so it's, I, if I can get out of the house a day or two, that'll be good. Yeah. Uh, she won't kill me. But, but the fun uh, stuff. What's, uh, yeah, the, what's I'm the fun going stuff to, in Well, we're building a pool in the new house. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, I am going to build a boat, and I'm going to, we're going to do some cruising. Uh, the boat will be designed to live aboard for weeks at a time. Sailboat? Uh, power catamaran. Okay. Knows, I want a sailboat. She, she doesn't, doesn't, so, so you're not we compromised. A sailboat. We Sounds compromised. Right. It's a good, good start to a new marriage. Right, <laughs> right. So that, that's definitely on the horizon. Just go out, and uh, she can work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Patrick, uh, she's a recovering lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she doesn't practice law anymore, so she can work from anywhere. And so the boat will be designed for uh, satellite connectivity, so we can work oh, wow. from almost anywhere while we cruise. Yeah. And I think there are some other water-based activities that I know at least you've enjoyed over the years. I don't know if she does as well. Well, she's a newly certified scuba diver, so mm-hmm. she's loving that. Uh, and you've, you have a long background in, I, in diving. I, I was a certified diver. I've been a certified diver for almost 50 years. Yeah. What is it about diving that you enjoy so much? <sighs> the overall environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're down there, and it's a, it's, a, it's a foreign environment. I'm a visitor there. And what you see under the water is so incredibly beautiful. Uh, the fish, the... Uh, the coral, uh, even wrecks. When you're, when you're scuba diving on a wreck, it, it can be very eerie because it, it's ghost-like, but it's, it's just, it's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like people who, um, you know, people who paint. I have no artistic talent whatsoever. I can't draw a straight line. Mm-hmm. But people who paint, they get off into their own little world. Down there as a diver, I'm in my own little world down there just looking around. The only thing I have to realize is, you know, I have a limited amount of air in the tank. <laughs> you, you know, you, you follow all the rules, mm-hmm. you come back up, and you do it again the next day or, or whenever. Uh, it's very peaceful. Uh, it's, to me, it's just a second way of life. Mm-hmm. Particularly memorable locations where you've done dives. Oh, I think the most beautiful place I've ever been uh, is the Tobago Keys in the southern Caribbean, mm-hmm. where it is a a sea turtle sanctuary. 
and so you can be diving and have a flotilla of sea turtles along beside you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also an area that's abundant in sea life, such as eagle rays and leopard rays, uh, sharks. Still have all my fingers and toes. And <laughs> nope. uh, barracudas, lobsters the size of <laughs> this platform, it seems, mm -hmm. sometimes. It's just incredible. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been. Very cool. Well, uh, Kevin, on behalf of all of us at, at AMVA, I want to uh, congratulate you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you on a personal level. Um, I think, you know, some of our listeners know, but maybe not everybody, that, um, you know, we've been part of the same team since uh, 2011. And you have been a place where I've been able to learn and understand the business, um, particularly around the issuance, issuance of driver licenses and, like everyone else, all things CDL, to be able to under, understand the program, uh, understand, like you said, why it exists, as important as what it is that exists. Uh, and the role that AMVA has played historically in being able to empower our members to meet these federal requirements. So on a personal level, I just want to express my appreciation for the support you've given me and the guidance you've given me in that topic and other related topics o over the years. So uh, best of luck for a long, healthy, fun retirement, uh, a long, healthy, and fun new marriage. Uh, and we hope you will stay in touch with, with the AMVA community and let us know how you're doing. Uh, thank you very much, Ian. And believe me, when I leave, Everett will have my contact information. Mm -hmm. And when you're, you're ever down in Florida area, in Tampa area, just let me know. The wine cellar will be open. The pool will be open. We'll have some fun. Will the, will the boat be built, though? I want to go on a boat ride. Well, I, 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 everybody asked me about the boat. Originally, it started out as a 48-foot pirate catamaran. Mm -hmm. As we built the new house, the house got bigger, the boat <laughs> got smaller. <laughs> right now, it's an inflatable dinghy with oars <laughs> that will fit in the swimming pool. Uh, eventually, it'll start getting bigger again. Yeah. So it'll take me a couple of years. Well, as long as it's one of those inflatables, it's got the built-in cup holder. Two. You know, oh, there we go. Okay, very good. Well, I want to thank our first ever live audience. Wow. How cool has this been? Uh, as always, thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.